Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. We're going to keep going on our series today, Inside Out. We're going to talk about, um, we've had a, a great series. Again, go back and listen to uh, the messages. But today, we're going to talk about Inside Out and being after God's heart. After God's heart. And today, guys, I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you, but I also, I also want to challenge you today. I have the amazing opportunity and privilege of being the next-gen pastor here at Tree. Um, I oversee our children's ministry, our youth ministry, and our young adults ministry. And being the youth pastor and being the young, young adults pastor, I get an opportunity to walk through life with teenagers. I get an opportunity, I said this morning, to impact the lives of babies all the way to the lives of the 25-year-olds that, that some of them still act like babies. <laughs> some of them took some offense to that earlier. I was like, I didn't say you were a baby. I said some of you. No. <laughs> Are you the some of you? No. But one of the things that I love about our teenagers and I love about our young adults is that they are always real. They can spot a phony from a mile away. They can spot somebody who's not really living what they're talking about and speaking about. And they don't want that. They don't want the superficial. They don't want the surface. They don't care about the antics of church. They don't care about all those things that we love and that we appreciate. and we, they, don't, they don't care about any of those things. They want what's real. They want something real. They don't want the fake. They don't want the phony. They don't want the superficial. They don't want the surface. Don't give me the fluff. Give me the deep. Talk to me on, on, on a level. I, I, I care about the stories, but how can that impact my life? How can I take those stories and allow it to impact the life and the things that I'm going through today? They want what's real. And then I have some acquaintances that have said that they'll never step foot in a church again. And they say that because they say the church is full of hypocrites. It's full of people who say one thing and do something else. Can I tell you? They are right. And I tell them, I was like, you are absolutely correct. We all come because we still need Jesus. That's why we walk through these doors. We walk through these doors because we still need a Savior. We still need Jesus to change us from the inside out. We still struggle with some habits. We still struggle with some things that we don't want people to know about. We still need Jesus. That's why we're here. And so I tell them, well, if you come to the church, you'll be in good company. Because we all still messed up. Listen, don't put me on no pedestal. Just because I got pastor in front of my name, I still do stuff too. I still need Jesus too. I need him every day. Every morning that I wake up, I need Jesus. Every morning that I wake up, that old man wakes up with me. I need Jesus. I need to be after God's heart. And if you're in a place where you don't feel like you need Jesus anymore, 
We're just going to leave it right there. <laughs> that you got it all together, hey, kudos to you. But I'm still working on my salvation. I still get a little upset. I still fuss at my kids. I still get angry. All of those things still happen. And they happen in all of us because we all need Jesus. If it was ever a chance for us to be perfect, God wouldn't have had to send his only son. The reason that he sent his only son was because he knew it was impossible for you to live right. All in within yourself. He knew that it was impossible for you to fulfill every single one of the laws that were, that were there. He knew it was impossible for you to do it. So he sent Jesus and Jesus said, listen, I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill it because you can't do it. You couldn't do it within yourself. So my father sent me to do what you can't do. And now because I did what you can't, you can sit right next to me in heavenly places. Hallelujah. We all need Jesus. Maybe you're living a life where you've got money and you've got more money in the bank that you can count. You write checks to make the bank bounce. Like some people caught it over here. Like a little, y'all still catching it over here with you? You got it, Spencer? You got, you got it? Okay. You got a bunch of digits on your bank account. All your bills are paid. You got a nice house. You got some fat whips, cars, whatever you want to call them. Rides. We don't call them that no more. <laughs> You got everything that you want. You can buy whatever you want. All the clothes that you want. You're like me. You got shoe game. You see? You can get you some off-whites. Go on whatever vacation you want to go on. You don't have no concern about money. And in there, there are those of us that don't, may not have all of those, those digits in our bank account. Maybe we got a little dash in front of the numbers. You know what that dash stands for. <laughs> and maybe you forgot to turn on the overdraft protection. So it's. <laughs> and we look at the people that have money and say, I wish I had the money that they had. I wish I had the life that they had. I wish I can buy the things that I want. I wish I didn't have to worry about how I was going to pay for this bill and what we're going to eat over here. I wish I would have, I, I'd had everything that I needed just like them. But Biggie said, more money. Somebody's not saved right over here. You listen. You're listening to Biggie, you. Listen, I used to listen to Biggie back in the day. The notorious B-I-G said, more money. The more money we come across, the more problems we see. There's some truth in that. You feel like because you get more money that you're not going to have problems. People with money struggle with anxiety too. People with money struggle with depression too. They still go through divorces. They still get unexpected medical diagnoses. They still lose people. They still lose money. They still have businesses closing down. They still struggle just like you do. And if you got money, I pray that you will stay in a place where you realize that you need Jesus. And if you don't have money, I ain't got to tell you that you need to pray that you need Jesus because you already prayed it. <laughs> We all need Jesus. I want to encourage you today, but I want to challenge you. 
We're talking about living a life from the inside out. See, when we're living a life from the outside in, we become judgmental and critical about other people's lives. I posted on social media, on Facebook the other day. I think it was Facebook, Instagram, social media. I was reading through James chapter two and I was kind of preparing for this message and just studying it. I was reading in James chapter two, forget the verse. It said that a person that breaks one law is just as bad as a person who breaks many laws. And I said this, you got to be careful when you look and how you judge people that don't sin the way you do. Notice that I didn't say that they don't sin. I said that they don't sin like you. Because we all got something. We all got something that we need to lay at the feet of Jesus. What keeps you at the feet of Jesus? What's that thorn in your flesh that keeps you at the feet of Jesus that reminds you that his grace is sufficient for you? What is the thing that keeps you at his feet, that keeps you humble? Find it. You'll stay out of pride if you can remember that. You won't look at other people's lives. You won't be judgmental to other people and critical when other people are going through things that you may not be going through. They're going through things publicly and you're going through things privately. We all do something. We all need Jesus. We all need a savior. We all need to get to his feet. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he's talking and he says, you're worried about the speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log hanging out of yours. <laughs> you're worried about the dust, that little piece, itty, 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 bitty piece of dust in your friend's eye. And when you open your eyes, all you hear is, I am Groot. <laughs> Some of y'all got that. <laughs> Any guardians of the galaxy people over here? Google Groot. You'll find out who Groot is. It's a little baby log that, just, that talks. You got a log hanging out of your eye. But you're focusing on the little speck in your friend's eye. Jesus was trying to get them to focus on their own selves, on their inner man, on what's happening on the inside of them rather than what's on the outside that people see. In Matthew 23, he has this whole run in with the Pharisees and he tells the people, he says, listen, these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, these people that you're putting on this pedestal, listen, they're teaching good. He says this in the top of the verse. They're teaching good, but don't follow their example because they ain't living nothing. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. He says in verse, 20, or in, in verse 25, he says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? He says, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup. Uh-oh and the dish, but on the inside, look at that, you're filthy. You're so concerned about what people can see. You check in on social media when you walk into the church. You want all your friends and all your unsaved friends know that I'm in church and you not. You're focusing on cleaning the outside of the cup, but on the inside, you're full of greed. You're full of self-indulgence. Indulgence. You're full of pride. 
You're full of anger and envy and jealousy. Focusing on the outside, but not on the inside. He says, you blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. Jesus said, you've got to live an inside-out life. You're focused too much on your outside, and you need to be focused on the inside, because if you focus on the inside, then the outside will be reflected of what's happening on the inside of you. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Jesus was cussing them out. You a whitewashed, call somebody that today. You a whitewashed tomb. I looked that up, and I was telling my wife that what it meant was it was, if something was dirty and it was, it was a wall or something and it was white, what they would do was is they would just paint over it. They would just paint it white. Instead of actually cleaning the wall, they focused on the appearance of it, and they would just paint it white so it looked clean on the outside, but it really wasn't clean. They didn't do the work that needed to be done to scrub it and clean the wall. They just painted over it white so it had an appearance of being clean, and sometimes that's what we do in our lives. We don't take the time to focus on our inner man and ask God to clean us from the inside out. So we just want to come in and lift our hands and worship him and just paint a white wall over it and not really take the time to allow the Holy Spirit to work on our inside. And listen, if you're just coming in and you're just putting your hands up, I'm not telling you don't come to church anymore. I'm saying keep coming so that the Holy Spirit can work on you. Because we all need to be worked on. I'm not saying that I'm too good. I'm saying again that I need Jesus too. We all need him to work on us from the inside out. I said I wanted to challenge you today. I want to encourage you, but I want to challenge you. Paul told Timothy, he says, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Listen, I don't want to walk into a church. I don't want to live this entire life and have a form of godliness. I don't want to stand up on a stage and sing good songs and lead people into worship and lay hands on people having a form of godliness and denying power. I want to have the power like Peter had. That when he walked, I don't even have to say anything, but because of my shadow, the anointing of God is so strong on me that lives begin to change, that people begin to be healed and set free, that I don't have to open up my mouth, but the power of God is so strong on the inside of me that lives begin to be changed. I don't want to have a form of godliness. I don't want to look good for you. And on the inside, I'm filthy. I want to allow God to work on me from the inside out. Jesus said, on the outside, you look good. He said this in the last part of verse 28. He says, outwardly, you look like righteous people. You look righteous. You got the church lingo. You know how to sound good and sing good and lift your hands and cry right on time. You got it down pat. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. I want to encourage you guys. But I want to challenge you. Listen, the Bible tells us that, 
that God chastens those whom he loves. This is not a message of judgment. This is a message of conviction. Listen, I want Jesus to convict me. I want the Holy Spirit to say, hey, hey, don't you say that. I want him to correct me when I'm doing something wrong. Don't you do that. Don't you go to that place. Don't you look at that person that way. Don't you talk about that person that way. I don't care that they're not in the room. You watch your mouth. That's my daughter. That's my son. You want to live an inside-out life? Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. I don't want to be righteous on the outside, but in the inside, I'm filthy. I want to talk to you about a person that I believe that lived an inside-out life. They had this, this idea that they knew that they needed Jesus. In 1 Samuel 16 and 7, listen, guys, it's time for us to put down the facades. It's time for us to put down the masks. It's time, to us, it's time for us to stand up and be who God created us to be as believers, a light, salt, and light to this world to this dark world. I don't have to tell you that the world is going to hell in the handbasket. I don't have to tell you that. You can look on TV and you can see it. And Jesus told us that it was going to happen. But he said, listen, I've come that they might have life and that they might live it to the full till it overflows. And I've called you to go out there and make disciples. I've called you to go out there and tell them that I've come to save their lives. I'm going to talk about David today in the few moments that I have left. Everybody knows the story of David. Maybe you don't. But David was the only person in the Bible that God said that this guy is a man after my own heart. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7, he says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I rejected him. He was talking about David's brother. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Look at that. God doesn't look at people the way you see them. You see a person because they're continually repeating a habit over and over and over again. And every time they repeat that habit, they fall back to their knees and they cry and say, God, forgive me. And you say, they ain't living nothing. No, God sees their heart and he sees the remorse. He sees the repentance. He knows that they still need the Holy Spirit to help clean up their actions a little bit more. When you said yes to Jesus, you didn't get clean instantly. It was a process. The Holy Spirit had to walk you through a process of being clean over and over and over again until the day that you leave and you breathe your last breath, you're going to still need Jesus to clean you over and over and over again. You're going to still need to come to the cross. You're going to still need to fall to his feet. You're going to still need to ask him for forgiveness. You're going to still need to plead the blood of Jesus. You're going to still need to ask him for his help. You're going to still need Jesus. To the day you breathe your last breath, you're going to still need Jesus. But Jesus, God, spoke over David. He says, people judge by outward appearance. But I look differently than other people look. I look at their heart. And I believe that we focus so much on our outward man that we allow the inward man to not be as good as it could be. On social media, you get the ability to show everybody the highlights of your life. They get to see all of the smiles, but they don't see the cries. 
They get to see all of the good moments and the, the high points in your life, but they don't see that you're broken. It's your anniversary, and you post a picture, happy 25th anniversary, and then you send it, and then you and your wife are going at it. They don't see that. Happy anniversary to you, but you still need Jesus to come in the midst of your marriage. But we get to post those highlights, and we don't work so much on the, sometimes we don't work so much on the inside. Here's what I believe. That what we publicly present to man often gets more of our attention than what we privately lay before the Father. We focus more sometimes on what people see and not so much on what we lay before the Father. God, I need to lay this jealousy right here before you. I need to lay this lust that I have right before you. I've been watching things on the internet that I know that I shouldn't be watching. God, I'm laying it right here before you. I need you to help me. Got quiet right there. Because it's real. It is a real struggle. We have real struggles. It's time to stop playing church, guys. We have real struggles, and we need Jesus to clean us from the inside out. Lay it at his feet. Whatever the habit is, lay it at his feet. Whatever the struggle is, whatever the weakness is, lay it at his feet. Be real before the, before the person, the one who sees everything and knows everything about you. You can't hide from God. We're talking about living an inside-out life. I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you. It's interesting that David, that God says this, or the scripture says this in 1 Samuel 13. But now your kingdom must end. He's talking about Saul, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And I was reading this. And I've said this scripture so many times. I've talked about how David was a man after God's heart so many times. But I don't know why I kind of figured like this was like after, at the end of his life. No, this was before David was ever anointed king. God spoke and said, this man is a man after my own heart. This was before Bathsheba. This was before he murdered her husband. This was before he, did, he lied to Abimelech. This was before he did all of these different things. God said, this man is a man after my own heart. And sometimes the alarm is going off. It's telling me my time is up. Uh, no, it's not. I still got five minutes. <laughs> Sometimes we get caught in guilt and shame because of things that we've done, and we, act, we feel like God is looking at us the same way that we look at ourselves when we look in the mirror. But God says, no, I don't see you that way, because before I formed you in, my, in your mother's room, Jeremiah 1, I had already known you, and I had already anointed you, and I had already called you as a prophet to the nations before you messed up, before you had that divorce, before you made those sins, before you did all of that stuff, I had already seen you and already loved you and already put favor over your life and already gave you everything that you need to live a life that I've called you to live. I'd already called you a man after my own heart. David lived a life from the inside out. So how can we be like David? How can we live this life 
chasing after God's heart. And when I said this, when I was preparing this message, I've said that God, that David was a man after God's heart, almost in a sense, like he was modeled after his heart. Like he had the same heart like God had. And we've all said that, but I felt like the Holy Spirit said something different when I was reading it this time, that David wasn't just someone whose heart was modeled after him. What it, what it means when he says, or for me, this is my interpretation. What it meant for me was David was a man who was constantly after God's heart. It wasn't a, he wasn't someone that his heart was just like God's because, of course, his heart wasn't like God's in that moment. He was a person who stayed in constant pursuit after God's heart. Every single time that he fell, he got back up and pursued God's heart even more. Every time he broke back down into that habit again, he got back up and said, God, I pray that you forgive me, create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. And he pursued God's heart again. And then he made another mistake, and he said, God, I know that I've messed up. But you, God, are for me, and you're more than anyone who's against me. Cast me not away from your presence, O oh God, and don't take your spirit from me. He was a man that was in constant pursuit after God's heart, and that's where we need to be, guys. When you're living an inside-out life, you are in constant pursuit after God's heart. God, what's on your heart? Constant pursuit after his heart. Here's how we stay in constant pursuit after God's heart. We focus on what we believe. You focus on what you believe. David is up against Goliath. He's a teenage boy. Everybody else is scared. And David walks up to this giant in 1 Samuel 17, 47. He says this, it says this, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. This is David talking, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And listen to the faith in this statement, and he will give you to us. David hadn't even thrown a stone yet, but his faith was so built up in his God that he knew that God is going to give you to me. Now, whatever giant, I don't know what giant you may be facing in your life, but what would happen if we begin to talk to our giants in faith and say, yeah, I know you're big. I know that you're afraid of every, that everybody else is afraid of you, cancer, but I'm not afraid of you. God is going to give you to me. But watch what David did next. David didn't run away. It says that Goliath started moving closer to David. And as Goliath started moving closer to David, David quickly ran out to him. You think I'm scared of you, devil? You think I'm scared of you, cancer? You think I'm scared of you, depression? You think I'm scared of you, anxiety? You think I'm scared of you, lack? You running towards me and I'm running back towards you because God is with me. And he's going to give you to me. You focus on what you believe in, and then you focus on who you believe in. David said in 1 Samuel chapter 24, Saul is trying to kill him, and he's been trying to kill him over and over and over again. But because David knew who he believed in, he says this in 1 Samuel 24, 12, may the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, Saul, but I will never harm you. As the old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure that I will never harm you. David was showing 
My trust is not in my ability because I've had the, the chance many times to kill you, but I didn't because my trust is not in what I can do with my own hands. My trust is in what happens when God put my stuff in God's hand. God, D David knew that his trust was in his God to fight for him. But we're trying to put our hands on it. We're trying to tell off that coworker. We're trying to give that waiter a piece of our mind because our food was late. Oh, I'm going to take it from your tip. We're trying to drive up to the person that cut us off on the highway. We drive up alongside of them and we don't say nothing. We just drive up and we go. It's like, you ain't got to say nothing. You already know what you did. And then it make you mad because they don't even look. They'd be like, and start fiddling over in the passenger seat. Ain't nobody even over there acting like you're talking to somebody. You know you cut me off. <laughs> somebody did that on the way here. <laughs> it's like, I did that this morning. You focus on who you believe in, and then you focus on how you love. And all of Saul's deal, David's dealings with Saul, he had this agape-type love towards Saul that no matter how many times he tried to kill him, no matter how many times he tried to defame him, no matter how many times he tried to embarrass him, he still had this love for Saul because he saw Saul through the eyes of his father. It's interesting that David was walking out what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount on chapter Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, he says, but I say, love your enemies. We don't have a problem with that. We won't have a problem loving our enemies because they really don't require us to do nothing. Like, I ain't got to talk to you if I love you. I can still love you from a distance. But the next part is what we struggle with. Pray for those who persecute you. Not pray about, pray for. This is where we had a problem with. And this is where we're going to God, like, God, okay, you're going to have to get your son Jesus because I, I don't know if I can do this one. Like, I can love him. I, I can love him all day, but now I got to pray for him too? I got a problem with this guy. Not pray about. Pray for. When's the last time you prayed for God's blessing on someone who's done you wrong? When's the last time you asked God to bless the person who cursed you? You want to live an inside-out life? It requires you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is Jesus talking. It's not my opinion. This is Jesus. He says in John chapter 13, verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How you love. There's an old hymn that says this. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. Anybody know that? We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity 
will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. This is how they're going to know that we are followers of Christ. It's not by the scripture that we know. It's by the love that we show. It's not because we show up to church every Sunday. It's about how we treat people on Tuesday. They'll know that we are Christians by how we love. Focus on how you love, and then you want to focus on your humility. Didn't matter what David faced in battle. He remained humble before the Lord. He remained in this place of humility, knowing that he was where he was because God had been good to him. This particular passage in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Nathan comes to him, and he tells David of this vision that God had given him. He tells him that God is going to bless his family, his, his legacy forever. David's family line is going to be blessed forever. And the interesting thing is, is David didn't get excited and get like, let's turn up. We're about to have a party. Like my family about to be blessed forever, forever, ever. <laughs> but because of the humility of David, because of his spirit, because he had a heart that was after God. It says this in 2 Samuel 7, 18. This is what he did. And King David went in after he got this promise, after he was told of the favor that's on his life, he went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Who am I, God, that you're mindful of me? Who am I, after all of the things that I've done, God, that you would still put a blessing on my family? Who am I, God, after all the times that I've made mistakes, after all the times that I told you I was not going to do something again, and I did. Listen, I'm talking about myself right now. After all of those times, God, you still put a blessing on my family. You still help me. God, you're still for me. Your favor is still on my life. It's still on my family. Because David realized that if it wasn't for God's grace, if it wasn't for his mercy, if you know me and you spend any amount of time with me and in relation, those who have a relationship with me know this about me, that I know that I'm where I am today because of God, because of his grace. Because of his mercy. And I know that there are so many other people that are more qualified to do what I'm doing right now. I know that there may be people that are more qualified to be right here in this position where I am right now. But if it had not been for God's grace. If his mercy hadn't showed up when I wanted to end my life. If God hadn't showed up when I made those mistakes. If he hadn't showed up, 
I don't know where I would be. Is there anybody in here that you know if God hadn't showed up in your life, you wouldn't be breathing right now? If God hadn't stepped in and showed you his grace and showed you his mercy, your humility, your integrity, who you are when nobody's looking. Not in front of everybody. When you're praying good. Who you are when no one's looking. You've got to focus on your integrity. Then you've got to focus on your willingness to repent. The one thing about David is he always admitted his mistakes. He always admitted when he messed up. When he had this affair with Bathsheba and killed her husband. The prophet came to him and he's telling them this story about something that happened in his kingdom. And I'll share, I'll spare you the details because it's long, rather long story. And David gets angry. Who is this person? Bring this person to me. I'm going to take care of this person who's stolen from somebody else. I'm going to take care of him. And Nathan looks at him. He says, David, it's you. David faced with the reality of what he's done. Thought he had gotten away with it. He's faced with the reality of it. But David didn't try to make excuses for what he did. He didn't try to say, oh, it was Bathsheba. See, if she wasn't on top of that house bathing, then I wouldn't have seen her and I wouldn't have. But he says in 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. It's only against you, God, that I have sinned. He owned up to his mistake. You've got to have a willingness to repent. I know it's hard. I know you feel shame sometimes. I know you feel guilty. I know you, you, you may be embarrassed by what you've done. But if you want to be after God's heart, you've got to have a willingness to repent. And God doesn't expect you to get it right the next time. He knows you're going to probably fall again. But when you chase after his heart, a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And you understand, like David understood, that his righteousness was not because of anything that he did on his own. His righteousness was simply because God is good. It's not about your works that's going to get you into heaven. And I know that, that kills some, some theology. And some things that people believe that you got to do things right and you got to pray and you got to fast and you got to do all of these things in order to get to heaven. Tell me when the, the thief on the cross got down and was able to get his life right. Because of his faith, his belief in what Jesus had done and what Jesus was doing, Jesus said, today, you're going to experience paradise with me forevermore. It's not about your works. If it was about your works, the scripture says you would be able to boast. But it's about his grace. Got to have a willingness to repent. And David knew that he could never stop worshiping. And he could never stop worshiping no matter what he faced in life. 
He always came back to worshiping the Father. No matter how many times he fell, he always, no matter how bad, you had an affair and then you killed the woman's husband. But then he wrote Psalm 51 and they believe that he wrote Psalm 32 as well. At the end of Psalm 32, verse 11, he says this. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. This is him worshiping. All you who obey him. This is after he murdered a man. Shout for joy. All you whose hearts are pure. He never stopped worshiping the father. You want to focus on your life inside out? Don't stop worshiping. Don't stop showing up to church. Listen, you might be watching online right now. And you know you should be here. But because of the mistake that you made, you said, I can't, I just can't go to the church. So I'm just going to watch online. Never stop worshiping. I'm glad that you're watching online. Never stop worshiping. Never allow what you've done to cause you to run away and hide from God. He knows it anyway. You can't hide something from someone who knows the end and the beginning. When you have a heart that's after God's heart, that's when you begin to live a life from the inside out. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.